What's up, guys? Ryan Horn here, and welcome to the Extraordinary Man Podcast. This is the one and only podcast specifically designed to help married businessmen create more profit and purpose in their business without sacrificing their family, health, or marriage in the process. Each week, I interview some of the world's most extraordinary men, including seven- and eight-figure entrepreneurs, elite athletes, best-selling authors, and world-class speakers. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Robert Smith. Robert grew up in St. George, South Carolina, and is a former four-year starting safety for the Clemson Tigers football team under head coach Dabo Sweeney. After an outstanding college career, Robert was signed as an undrafted free agent by the Indianapolis Colts, and after being signed and released a combined nine times by the Colts and Seattle Seahawks, he decided it was time for a transition from the NFL. After the NFL, Robert became an entrepreneur and launched a franchise neighborhood magazine. He is consistently one of the top producers in the company and won the Big Dog Award for having the most significant impact in the company. Robert, welcome to the show, man. It's great to have you on. How are you doing today? Doing good, man. It's uh, it's, uh, going really good today. I'm excited to be on, on here. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to come on. So let's dive into your story a little bit. Like, What was life like? growing up for you, you were, you know, a really good high school football player. And then you went on to play division one college football at Clemson. So what was that journey like? Yeah. So I grew up in a very small town, uh, St. George, South Carolina, and uh, honestly, not a whole lot population, about 2000 people. And uh, before me, it was only one other player who just happened to be my cousin who actually ever went to go play D one ball. You know, I, I played quarterback in high school and played quarterback really all my life until I went to Clemson. And so I ended up earning a scholarship to go uh, as an athlete to go play uh, football at Clemson, which I, I later on transitioned to play safety. Yeah. So I, I know there's, I know your story a little bit, so I know uh, there's a little bit more to it than that. So you you had 12 full scholarships from big schools. You ended up tearing your ACL your junior year. Like what was what was going through your mind at that point? Yeah, you know, ever since I was a kid, man, I was working as hard as I could to, you know, just to just give myself an opportunity to make it. And um, man, I started playing varsity football when I was in the ninth grade. And uh, if rules would have permitted it, I would have played in eighth grade. And um, and I was started off really hot. I mean, I man, I was throwing for three thousand yards, running for another thousand, and throwing 28 touchdowns, running another 12. You know, he was really good freshman, my sophomore year. Pretty much, you know, capitalized on that. And then my junior year, it was just a year where you really start getting a lot of these scholarship offers and things like that. And I was off to a really good start. It was a better start than any other year I ever had. And uh, fifth game, of, sixth game of the year, never forget the call was called Blast Left. Uh, went in a hole and it was clawed up, bounced out. Got uh, it was fourth and three. I bounced out, got the first down, and uh, as I was going to the sideline, I hyperextended while somebody was hitting my leg and tore my ACL. And I'll never forget um, excruciating pain, something that I could never describe. I couldn't. I didn't even know why I was screaming in pain. Uh, I was trying to get myself to stop, and uh, my world just kind of turned upside down. You know, I, I never forget. I had a coach. I said, "You're going to be a fallen star." You know, uh, you don't know. You hear all these things about, I mean, I come from a very small town. We had no athletic trainer. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was no proper rehabilitation. The, I had to drive an hour away to go rehab, you know, 
almost every day of the week. And so just that alone was just a challenge itself. So you know, I was a kid that was playing sports all my life. And for the first time in my life, you know, I couldn't, you know, first time in my life, I, I missed a basketball game. I missed a football game. Uh, I missed a baseball game. All up until then, I've never missed a single football, basketball, baseball game in my entire life until then. And that's really interesting. You had someone say that you're going to be a fallen star. So obviously, you know, you, you didn't quit. You didn't give up on that. You went on to be really successful. So why did you not listen to what, what that person said? Honestly, because one of the big things is one of my biggest role models in my life and really the only role model in my life is my dad. You know, um, failure was never an option for me. You know, I knew what I wanted and I knew what it took to get there. And I was willing to do everything I had to do. And you know, my dad was always in my corner and my family was in my corner as well. But, you know, football was just me and my dad thing. You know, it was always, you know, we had this dream a long, long time ago and we just put forth the effort and the time and the sacrifices in order to make it happen. And at the end of the day, you know, my dad never gave up on me. So how could I ever give up on him just because one adversity hit me in my life? So I, I just, again, it was just one of those things where I knew I was going to come back even stronger, even better. And what it did was I didn't realize at the time, it allowed me to realize life is not all smooth road. There are bumps and there are curves. And, you know, that tearing my ACL was just one of many adversities I was going to face in my life. Yeah, great way of putting that. Um, it, it's funny because there's some similarities. So I played high school football too. You know, I didn't get to go to Division One and play, even though I wanted to. <laughs> um, but uh, I, would, I would love to know. So you tear your ACL. Uh, what happened to those 12 scholarships and, and how did you end up choosing Clemson? Yeah. Uh, I always tell people, you know, um, God does his way a process of elimination. Right. I didn't, uh, I didn't choose Clemson. Clemson chose me and, 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 uh, and uh, God chose Clemson, you know, even foremost for that. Um, so when I had those 12 scholarship offers and, they all disappeared. <laughs> they all disappeared. And, and you got to remember, I was already an undersized quarterback at 5'11", uh, you know, and uh, tore my ACL. Um, had a lot of people saying, hey, wait the next year. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. All of them, all of, all of those 12 except for one, which was Clemson. And I'll never forget getting a phone call. As a matter of fact, I was trying not, I was trying to avoid going to any visits to Clemson. I, I thought maybe they just didn't know I did. I, I, I tore my ACL. So I was trying to, oh, let me try to hold on to this one uh, scholarship offer. And I forget getting a call from my recruiter, Dan Brooks, which is such a phenomenal guy and such a big part of my life today. And the reason, a big reason why I am who I am today. You know, he said, man, we know we told you at ACL, but we still want you. We still want you. You know, I want you to go ahead and just commit. Obviously, we show that we're committed and we want you. And, you know, uh, other teams have showed you that, you know, you're not worth their time. And it took me about a month and I just thought about it and I just really prayed to God. And I just felt like God already did the process of elim elimination for me. And um, Clemson was just where I was supposed to go. That's a great story. Yeah. God, God took care of it for you. You didn't have to make the decision. That's really cool. So what was the transition like from high school to college? Yeah. Um, when you're a big fish in a little pond, you know, everything changes, you know, uh, there, there is definitely, um, 
there's definitely some some differences in there. Um, you know, uh, first thing, the speed of the game, that goes without saying. But, you know, from the simple fact of when you write plays for offense, you write from a, one side. And in defense, I had to write it from another side. I'll never forget my very first practice. What was like skills and drills, which is just like 707 drills and, you know, position-specific drills. i never forget the coach said – Offense that way, defense that way. And I went towards offense. It was like, son, where you're going, defense that way. You know, uh, it was just a transition in the sense of I knew I was athletically good enough. I knew I was smart. I knew I understood the game. I knew that, you know, I could do it. But the transition was I had to let go playing quarterback. And I had to let go, you know, a little bit. I was a little mad that I wasn't playing quarterback a little bit because I felt like, you know, I was doing a comparison game. I was comparing myself to Taj Boy, who was going to be an All-American quarterback. And I was comparing myself to other quarterbacks that came in, Cole Stout and Tony McNeil at the time. And then I thought I was just as good as them. You know, I was like, I could have played that, you know, so – no, that was a transition of that, but I would say like mentally was the biggest preparation. Whereas, you know, I didn't know how to study a playbook. I didn't know how to study film. I didn't know how to do those things. So you think when you come from a, you're a big fish coming out of a small pond that you just automatically ready to step in. And sometimes when God put a pause in your life, he's preparing you for something better. And, you know, my year and a half, two that I kind of sat behind John Meeks and Rashard Hall, which gone to play NFL players, I learned so much. Again, the ACL was just many of adversity. I had to learn, you know, delayed is not denial. So, um, again, you know, that's kind of th- – those parts are kind of hard, just, you know, just wanting to play and want to contribute. And, and the, the sad part is I had some opportunities as a freshman to kind of become a starter. I just wasn't ready. I wasn't, you know, I, I kind of had to play coming to Clemson. We were shorted at that position. You know, I, I, I contributed a lot on special teams. So I, I, what I did, I learned to bloom where I was planted. You know, I, I took pride in special teams and, and later on in my career, it actually ended up being a very, very good thing that, you know, uh, I had that experience in playing special teams. So you went on, you became the starting safety at Clemson. So I got to ask just from the perspective of, you know, I didn't play college football. I only got one offer to play division two, ended up getting a bigger academic scholarship somewhere and uh, went with that. But uh, what was it like being a starter and playing division one football for Clemson? There is no better place. Um, I mean, a lot of people think you have these orange goggles um, when the saying that you hear in around this area there's something in those hills. It really is truly a special place. Um, not only just being at Clemson and University itself, playing like a coach, playing for a coach like Dabble Sweeney, um, where football is not just, you know, he's not just there as a football coach. He's there to first and foremost to develop you as a man give you life skills to help you succeed in life. And I do give a lot of credit, you know, beyond my dad and my family to Coach Sweeney for preparing me for life and give me these life skills and life experiences to help me go through life, you know. And if I had to choose it all over again, I used to say when I was younger that if I had to do it all over again, I might choose Texas because that was just – I love the burnt orange and the hook'em horns. But to this day, I know if I had to do it all over again, a hundred times out of a hundred times, I will put, I will pick Clemson every single day. I, I wish I can explain it to people, 
Uh, I wish I can get people that experience. If I had a kid, it would, without a doubt, there was no other place I would want him to play. There was no other coach I would want him to play for. If it was up to me, obviously the kid make their own choices. Just because I know what that person is going to gain outside of just football, but also awesome football, you know, playing. Um, but the university itself and what it does for the 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 people who go there. Um, it, it's, it's a family. It's more than just a university. It's more than just football. And I I'm truly believe that's one of the reasons why I am the person I am today because of going to a place like Clemson. Again, God did the process of elimination. He knew I wasn't supposed to go to big Miami. I was a small town kid. I needed to go somewhere that would, you know, that could flourish. Yeah. And not every coach is like that. Right. I, I mean, they're definitely not. And I've had the privilege of, of hearing Dabo speak live a couple of times and uh, he, you can tell that he really cares. It, it's not just about, Hey, let me get the best players here. And once you're gone from Clemson, you know, that's it. So, you know, I'm interested, like, what would you say were some of the biggest things that you learned from Dabo? Life. <laughs> Oh, man, I could tell you a million slogans, man. And um, he definitely has some really long wins that I've heard enough of him. Um, but, I mean, just life, being a man, you know, I've all, what I've learned through business, what I've learned through life is, what I've learned through relationships is managing proper expectations. When you manage proper expectations, you know that, you're going to face adversity. You know, there are going to be good times. There are going to be bad times. One thing that, you know, you hear that, you know, Coach Venables taught me, my defensive coordinator at Clemson, be the model of consistency. You know, when you're being a model of consistency, you know, you always just stay even keel. You know that, you know, hey, there, there's going to be good times, but bad times, but you guys stay level-headed as much as possible. My first defensive coordinator at Clemson, he used to say this, you got to have ice water in your veins. And um, with Coach Sweeney, man, I can't tell you, I wish people could be a fly on the wall for the countless hours and hours and hours of life that he poured inside of you. My dad told me this a long time ago, and I never understood this until probably after leaving Clemson. You can visit a future if you listen to the people who've been there before you. And I mean, sure enough, you know, Coach Sweeney was like, ah, in a couple of years, you guys are going to thank me for saying this and it's going to pop up and you're going to laugh. And almost every day I laugh because like, man, he told me this would happen, you know, um, and same thing with my dad. And I wish I could have recorded those conversations. I wish I can go back to him. And, you know, there's so many different things that, uh, you know, I, I could not even replicate what Coach Sweeney did and, you know, the guy has the way of getting the best out of you, not just on the football field, but in life. You know, so many people go into Clemson as just a football player and as a boy, and they leave as a man and a business person as well. Coach Dabo, is, he's really amazing. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be around him on a daily basis for that long. So before we move on here, are there any games or any plays that like really stand out to you or that were highlights for you? I would probably say two. Um, the two. The two that st stood out to me the most is my very first college game against, geez, I can't even think of the name right now, out of Alabama, um, Troy. Very first game, Troy. Probably say it was like my third or fourth play. 
I got an interception and I probably will tell you that I, I felt the power of God, you know? And what I mean by that is it was this uncontrollable feeling that I just felt like I wasn't even moving. I felt like somebody was moving me. It was a moment that I was supposed to experience, you know, it was a moment that I think everybody, every player had that one moment. Like, how did that happen? And I'll probably say the second one was um, we had this school in our state that's called the University of South Carolina, and it's our rival. And I said University of South Carolina for a reason like that. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and uh, at that time, my senior year, they had beaten us five years in a row. Uh, and in, in the state of South Carolina, there's not many, much things to root for. And this, this Clemson and South Carolina rivalry is pride. And I'll never forget the night before the game. And uh, remember, I was a quarterback. This is crazy how God, God kind of bring things full circle. I'll never forget going my very first camp was actually at South Carolina and it was going to my freshman year of high school. And um, Steve Sprayer was there. And I remember he was teaching people how to do a quarterback sneak. Now, I'll never forget. I was, we had a 12 o'clock game and it was one, one or two o'clock that night before. And I woke up out of the middle of my sleep and I went and studied a fourth down plays, fourth and short plays. I remember seeing a certain percentage that was, quarterback sneaks. Now I remember he always told his quarterback to run off center, always off center. And then he was in the game, fourth and one. And uh, I never forget. It was, I kind of got a little closer to the line and um, sure enough, we had a little people kind of like kind of stood him up in the beginning, but I saw him starting to sneak off to the left a little bit. I was like, "Uh uh-uh, not today. And that was one of the big stops. And uh, we on the win. I think we went on to win that game like 35-14 or something like that. And that streak stopped. And to, to this day, it's six in a row, you know. And I just you know that was – that beating South Carolina was one of the highlights of my career because that game meant so much to the fan base. And uh, that was just one of those daggers. Uncle Sweeney's career as well. He never beat South Carolina. Um, so yeah, that would probably be the, probably the two plays that really just stood out for me in my career at Clemson. That's awesome. Yeah. Rivalry games are, are so cool. So special. And you being from South Carolina too, I'm sure it just made it that much more meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, when your dad goes to work and somebody's pulling a tiger bar rope for four years, that's a little rough. (laughs) For sure. Uh, all right. So I, I want to transition a little bit here. So college football ends, you were a really good player. And, uh, how did you end up transitioning from college football to being an entrepreneur now? So I know college football ended, like I said, and you know, the Seahawks said they're going to draft you and didn't happen. Like, what was that like? What was the journey like going from football to entrepreneurship? Yeah, uh, about three years of my life was like darkness. <laughs> it was about darkness. So um, I felt like I was a pretty good safety. And by, you know, Clemson and even some scouts, you know, I thought I was at least a fifth round safety at least. And that's what I was kind of hearing for them. For the greater part, you know, I, I've heard some preferred, uh, not preferred, uh, priority free agent. And um I really thought I was going to go to the Seahawks. I know the Seahawks really love me and, you know, numerous conversations. And um, I love Seattle without even seeing a glimpse of Seattle. I knew, I just felt like that was home for me. I knew that was, you know, uh, I got this love hate with relationship with Seattle right now, not with the coaching staff, just, 
I could have a lot of anger towards not being there, but I love that place so much. I just knew it was a place that it was for me. And honestly, I probably would still be there if it wasn't across the country from where I'm at now. But again, you know, uh, round after round goes by and I don't get drafted. And I end up signing as a priority free agent going to the Indianapolis Colts. And, you know, I went from the Colts and I actually went to Seattle and then, you know, went there and then I felt a physical because they thought something was wrong with my knee. Then I went back to Seattle and I signed and then I cut from there again. And I mean, it was just like endless cycles in and out in and out of the NFL. And during that time, I kept my faith and I kept working. And I'll never forget this. I was actually going to a Canadian workout and everything that possible could stop me from going could have happened. My flight got delayed like six times. The storm happened. I actually get it in Tampa, like three o'clock in the morning at this hour Uber drive. I had to be up by seven. I mean, all these different things. And I had the worst performance in my sports career. I never forget. I mean, I was, I was embarrassed. I felt like I was a kid who didn't even belong on the football field and you could chalk it up to, you know, the being up at five o'clock that morning and all the flight delays and all that stuff like that. You could, but it was one thing that one of my friends told me and I'll never forget this. He said, you ever thought that God was bringing you back to Clemson for a reason? And at first I was like, no, man, get out of here. It's just part of the process. It's the journey. It's the, you know, that's what every athlete want to believe, right? That's what you hear. And I'll never forget when he said that. And then um, after that, I mean, I just really did some soul searching. I was like, what if God had me back in Clemson for a reason? And I'll never forget, you know, five days later, after I, you know, basically made the, after that Canadian workout, I got a call from some people at Clemson and said, hey, why don't you come up here? Coach Sweeney was actually interested in me being a, a coach. And, you know, I went there. I went, I went into this meeting. Now, I, I found out later I wasn't even really supposed to be there. It was truly a God thing. And there's this guy talking about some publications. Like, what the heck is this guy talking about? But it was one thing that stood out to me. I was tired of, you know, not being rewarded for my performance, not having a say-so based off my work ethics. And, I felt like I wrote the book at Clemson and hey, go get good grades, work out hard, don't miss a rep, you know, you know, make plays. I feel like I wrote the book and but still yet, I feel like that still wasn't good enough for, you know, you watch some kids that go to the NFL, they can literally punch a girl in the jaw and break it in places and still get drafted. And like, how is this possible? So I wanted to entrepreneurship. I didn't even know at the time was probably my destiny just because I wanted to control the outcome based off what I did. You know, I didn't want my destiny to be, you know, or my fate to be based off if an, offensive, if an offensive lineman got hurt, they had to cut me to bring in another offensive lineman. That's something you couldn't control. So um, that just kind of how it all kind of happened. You know, I didn't even know I was an entrepreneur until about three years ago. Somebody said, you're an entrepreneur. I'm like, really? I am. <laughs> so you, you, you hear these words growing up, entrepreneur, working for yourself. Like, oh, like that's not what I want to do. But you look at it. I mean, so the people, some of the most successful people in the world, they are entrepreneurs. Yeah, absolutely. So you played football your entire life. How did you separate Robert Smith, the football player from Robert Smith, the person when you were making that transition? It was hard. You know, I think a lot of players go through this identity crisis. You know, I, I always tell people football players probably have bipolar. 
you know, by nature, you know, they say you're not above the law, but then they place you on this pedestal above the law, you know, but yet you can do the same mistake as uh, a quote unquote normal person, but then is, is, is magnetized by a thousand. So what I did was, you know, I stopped letting people refer to me as Robert Smith, the football player. I let people know I was serious about business. You know, I used to have meetings. People want to talk about football. Like, no, I'm here to talk about business, you know, but not only that, I took myself serious and I just really had to separate myself from the game for a while. I always tell people, you know, I, I, I did suffer from an addiction and it was football. You know, I was I was addicted to football and that was an addiction. And I later on realized everybody has an addiction in some kind of way, you know, and I needed to step away from the game. And um, so uh, that just really just kind of how it happened. I just had to step away from the game and I had to make it. I had to figure out who Robert was and, and in the world. Football was this nice, warm blanket. I knew I was good at it. I knew I was protected. It was this bubble. I felt like I was a super person, a superman. And without football, you know, I needed to take that off and fill the cold world. I needed to figure out who Robert Smith was. I could have easily went into coaching. I could have easily went into sports performance training. But I wanted to find out who I was and my worth to myself without, you know, a, a jersey on my chest. Yeah, that's really good. I think every athlete goes through that, that identity crisis at some point. I can definitely relate to that. I definitely had that athletics for my world in high school and then college, I was no longer playing it. And, you know, whether it's from high school to college, college to the NFL, or even if you play in the NFL for 20 years, everybody's got to go through that at some point. So yeah, yeah, I'm glad that you, you brought that up. So you mentioned earlier that your dad is like your number one role model. You learned so much from him. What would you say are some of the most important things you learned from him? How to be a man, <laughs> how to make, how to make sacrifices. Uh, my parents are very well, both in my life and my mom's always been there. Um, she's still there. She's done a lot for me in my life, but my dad did raise me and my sister as single parents, you know, for the greater good since I was two months old. And I watched a guy who sacrificed fun, sacrificed money, sacrificed entertainment, sacrificed food, uh, sacrificed so much. And don't get me wrong, my mom did a lot of that too. Don't get me wrong. But it's when I saw something and, you know, a guy who continuously got up every day and fought and fought and fought, which it was so easy to lay down, so easy to lay down, it was so easy to give up. It was so easy, you know, but I think it was so important for him to give me the perception of, you know, what it is to be a man. And what I found out in life is part of being a man is sacrifices, sacrifices for the greater good of someone else that even when you don't benefit from it. And you think about sports, especially in team sports, sacrifices, you know, when, you know, when you're not getting all the glory, when you go from high school, touching the ball, putting up all these stats to playing safety, to chasing people from stopping to get touchdowns, you know, those are sacrifices, you know, you're not getting all the glory and the shine at that point. And it's just sacrifice. I would probably say if I had to give one word to kind of define what he taught me, it was mainly just, how to sacrifice, you know, um, I was always taught to be respectful. I was always taught the ethics of hard work. I was also taught the ethics of, uh, having faith, 
you know, and those are some of the pillars that I kind of lean on in life. You know, uh, you know, hard work is any, if anybody, if you met anybody in this world that knew me, I think most people will say, they probably say it in one or two ways. That guy's a hard worker or he leaves it all on the field. He leaves it all out there. And for me, I remember one, one was this guy named James Trapp that used to play at Clemson. He said this one time, he had a friend that came up to him and said, Hey, I want to, I want to make a lot of money. What can we do to make a lot of money? And he told a guy leave. He said, man, it ain't hard to make a lot of money. I can stand in this corner and, you know, weigh people down and sell cars and make a lot of money. If I do it right, I can make, I can sell hot dogs and make a million bucks if I really want to do it. I just got to do it better than everybody else. But what I really want to do is re- leave a legacy. And if somebody knows you and they can bring you back up and be like, man, that guy gave it all, you leaving a legacy at that point. So again, when you're dead and gone, that's what people are going to say about you. You know, um, one of the things is uh, I was laughing. Um, I can't remember the comment on Facebook, Somebody posted a picture about me and somebody put the legend, the myth at Woodland High School. And, you know, I kind of take pride in that, man. And, you know, that kind of lives on, you know. Um, I love I love my high school. I love pouring everything inside of it. I love trying to pave the way. And, you know, I, I, I mean, my high school has a special place in me because I know it's not an easy place to come from. I know that the, the odds are stacked up against you. So, you know, those kids who make it, those kids that kind of get out of that area, you know, I know that it's not the easiest place and the most proud place to be when you're growing up. Yeah, for sure. So I know you're a humble guy, but the truth is you're, you're one of the top performers, top franchise owners in uh, the company that you work with. So how are you able to consistently maintain such high standards? Because for a lot of people, especially, you know, maybe they played college sports or they were in the military or something and they had these really high standards, but they got out of that and then they let them drop. So how are you able to consistently do that? You don't get complacent. I was looking at this video one time about the rock. One of the things they asked them, how do you consistently every single day bring it? And he said, I always got my back up against the wall my back stays up against the wall. You know, um, one time in, in this business, I was literally working so hard. I didn't really peek my head up to see what I had created, you know, cause I had this mentality of I've never arrived. We never arrived. There's always something you can be better at. There's some, always something you can, uh, achieve more. There's always something that can drive you to make a difference in someone else's life. And, and one of the things is, Life can't be about yourself. You got to know that your life was not, your, your life is not your own. You know, it was designed to impact someone else's life. It was designed to, you know, achieve things for other people. And I just think that, um, just, those are just some of the qualities that you just kind of hold on to, you know, um, I just, again, uh, I just, it kind of just goes back to, you know, Everything happens for a reason. I was born in St. George, South Carolina for a reason. I played quarterback for a reason. I tore my ACL for a reason. I didn't start when I nearly got to high school for a reason. I'm at college for a reason. I didn't make it as a 10-year career for a reason. And I just use these things as natural fuel that, you know, I got something to prove. 
you know, and, you know, uh, you, you don't, you don't gotta have a fancy degree. You don't, I got a great degree. Um, you don't got to, you know, be from a certain place in order to be successful, you know, success relies in everyone and everyone has success. It's just what you define it as. And, and also what you do to help other people as well to get along the way. Such good stuff. I've got so many notes here. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this about three times to get all the, the golden nuggets out of everything you're saying. So last question for you, Robert, what is your definition of an extraordinary man? One that honors God. There, there is, you know, I get a lot of time people ask me, what's your secret? Honestly, I was like, I don't know why. I don't know why I'm, I don't know why when I was in a junior in high school and the car flipped 10 times and I got out of there without, you know, without any broken bones or just some glass in my hair and scrapes on my arm. I don't know why, you know, I was one of the few to make it out at the time to go play division one. I don't know why I excelled in academics where kind of just kind of natural to me. I don't, I don't know why, you know, these things and it's because of God, you know, that's the only, that's the only that can chalk it up to. So extraordinary man is able to give credit with credit is due, but also he realized, you know, you can't do this thing in life on your own. And at the end of the day, there's only one person in this world who won't abandon you. And there's only one person in his life in this life who sacrificed everything for you. And so to me, extraordinary man is one who honors God and give thanks to someone who is willing to give it all up, you know, even his own son. So you can live sin free. And, you know, I think sometimes in life that we, uh, we forget about those things. You know, we forget that, you know, our life is not our own. You know, we was put on this earth to impact other people and, and make their lives better as well. It's not a, it's not a me show. It's always a us show, you know, and when I think about God and what he's done for me in my life, um, <laughs> there's certainly been things and times I've been mad at him. Even when I was mad at him, he never abandoned me, you know, and he's always kept my mind and just, you know, I'll never forget, you know, when I was going through this whole in and out of NFLs, having this deep conversation with my mom. And then, um, you know, she told me, you know, I had a conversation with God and God said, don't worry, it's done. And then so I stopped worrying. I was like, shoot, God already told you I'm going to make it. So I'm good. I don't got nothing to worry about. Like this, this is fabulous. And then I started thinking like, oh, shoot, he's saying, is it done? But it wasn't that he was saying like football was done. It wasn't saying that I was going to make it in football, you know, uh, the plan was already set, you know, when he was, when he, he was with me in my mother's womb and that map and that process of life has already been set. So when I'm sitting here talking to you, I just think it's so amazing that God already had planned that, you know, when adversity happens, I no longer, you know, like, this is what God wanted. This was the plan, you know, like this is, this is like, well, it had to been something, you know, it had to be, this happened for a reason. There is no coincidence in life. And one of my biggest slogans, everyone will always hear me say, this is always be something I'll probably live by. And I stole it from, you know, uh, William Dabble Sweeney. And it was, God never says, oops. And God never says, oops. And uh, that's what I've been living by for a long time now. And I was just having to come to Jesus this morning. And it was something that God had been trying to tell me for a very long time. And I kind of, hey, I, I got a guide. 
he got my attention. So a extraordinary man is a person who honors God. And also I'll probably say if I had to put like a tier B in there, someone who honors their family. I love that definition. I a hundred percent agree too. And uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because I actually, the people on the podcast aren't going to be able to see this, but I have a note that my wife, Brittany wrote that says, God never says, oops, <laughs> dash Robert Smith on yeah. my wall right next to my desk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just something when, if you live to me, if you live by that slogan, when things happen for you in life, you won't be surprised, but also when bad things happen, you won't be surprised as well. Again, I'm sitting here talking to you for a reason. I don't know why. I mean, <laughs> so I will tell you this really quick before we kind of wrap up, man, your wife impacted me long before she knew that I was anybody or anything. I'll never forget the conference I got, I went to, and she said she was sitting in back of the stage and she said one day I'm back of the room and said, I'm going to be on that stage. I'll never forget like hearing her another time speaking. Well, follow up by that. I told myself I'm going to be on that stage and miraculously, I won like the big dog award. Like, Oh shoot. Like, I didn't think it was going to be that soon. You know, I didn't think it was going to be to that magnitude. I, I didn't, you know, but I told myself that. And then I'll never forget, like, just hearing her story. And, you know, you, I've always been a good, you know, by nature of my playing sports, I've always been able to study people. And here's this girl jumping on a trampoline every day. I'm like, this girl is going nuts. And I can't tell you, I will have no problem saying this. Anytime somebody in our company is going through anything, anything, you know, the first person, you know, the first thing I say, you need, you need Brittany Horn. That's the first thing I say, like legitly, I say you need Brittany Horn because positivity is very infectious. Confidence is very infectious. So you don't have to be a somebody to imp impact somebody's life. If you show those two things, you know, but also somebody is willing to admit I'm not perfect. There's nothing special about me. I just know that God never says, oops. You know, so I, I don't know how many people actually reach out. That's, <laughs> I got this joke uh, that I tell myself one day, Brittany Horns is going to be my coach. <laughs> like literally. And I, I, I'm a little jealous of the people who have her as a coach. I am, you know? Uh, and, and the thing is, I know the people who can make impact in people's lives. And I probably sent her probably, I probably told at least 15 people, you need Brittany Horn. She'll never know that. Um, but again, you know, I watched this thing and her little challenge. I don't know if it was like 40 days or whatever. And she went after it. You know how many people say they're going to start something and don't finish it. And I can bet you 35, 31, 29. It was hard. I don't want to make no more of these days. And when I saw she completed that, I knew how hard it is to complete something. And I don't know, again, uh, she's been someone has been a positive influence in my career in this company for a very, very, very long time. And there's very few people who say things that when they speak, I'm like, Oh, I heard that one before. <laughs> but when she speaks, it's like laser focus. Cause ever since my very first conference or second conference, it's just certain people just speak to you. Yeah. Well, Brittany is definitely an amazing woman. She definitely has a gift of, of speaking and uh, it's so cool that you mentioned some of those stories. So 
Robert, where can people go to find out more about you or if they want to connect with you? Uh, I, I sound like a little celebrity, man. You're trying to make me sound like, um, man, I'm, as you already know, I'm a very humble person, but I mean, you can always find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. I don't really get on Twitter no more. Um, but I mean, honestly, just, I, I try to pour into as many people as possible. That kind of gets me in trouble. Um, but I mean, honestly, um, those are two different methods that people can reach out to and, um, ask me questions, you know, um, or, you know, if I always tell people, even I tell my business partners, you don't feel like you just have to reach out to me just for business. If you need me to pray for you, no, I'll pray for you. You need me to show up to a cookout and throw football with your kid. I'm fine with that. Matter of fact, I got one of my clients, you know, his, his kid loves football and he's fighting to get a, you know, a scholarship offer, play football at the next level. And he's coming here in about 30 minutes and, I'm like, dude, let's go. <laughs> you know, let's like, whatever I can do to help you. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't know. I, I watched my dad, and I think he gets it from his. Um, well, both my, my, both of my grandmas were like this. Then literally, they'll take their shirt off their back for people. And I think that when it comes to people who want to be successful, I'm always ears. I'm always it always traps me. You know, I I I, I overcommit to that because. I know that sometimes it's just that one person, you know, it was, I heard this song by B.O.B. a long time ago. There's only one phrase that stuck out to me and it said, one man can change the world. Most people say that's not true. That is true. Cause one man affects one person, affects another person, affects another person. It's a chain reaction. So yeah, those are, uh, I'll probably say, uh, like I told you, I sound like a little celebrity cause I'm definitely not the most active person on my social media, but, uh, Facebook, Instagram, um, or definitely places you, place you connect with me on. Awesome. Yeah. We'll definitely make sure there's some links there because I know people are going to get so much value from this. Uh, this has been incredible, but thank you so much again for coming on the show, Robert. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. No, no problem at all, man. Ryan, I appreciate you as well. Guys, thanks so much for joining me on another episode of the Extraordinary Man podcast. If you want a free one-on-one business accelerator coaching call with me personally, go to aoemen.simplecast.com and click on the free coaching tab at the top. I've specifically set aside five spots for listeners of this episode, and they're available on a first-come, first-served basis. Again, to take advantage of this exclusive and limited-time offer, go to aoemen.simplecast.com now. Until next time, remember to go out there and become the man you were created to be. I'll see you on the next episode.